There's two ways to battle sin, directly or indirectly. Now, he says that uh, to battle a sin directly is to focus on it and seek to be aware of all the specific incidences where you're giving way to it. He says there's another way to, to, to overcome sin, though, and that is to grow virtue and crowd out sin. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Crab and the Cross podcast. I'm your host, Mary Rose, and my guest today is Monsignor Charles Pope. We have a really enlightening conversation about the seven deadly sins and um, the surprising tip for how you can root sin uh, out of your life. Um, I'm definitely somebody who likes to break things down into pieces and understand them, and um, that can tend towards overthinking and uh, maybe even obsessing on some level. And so I thought he brought a lot of really helpful distinctions to this question of sin, um, whether we're talking about culpability or whether we are distinguishing between something that is intrinsically evil versus something that is neutral or good. Um, and I, I think what's missing a lot of times from our conversations on on sin are those distinctions. You know, we're not always choosing between good and evil. Sometimes we're choosing between uh, good and good. Um, and in, if that's the case, often it's um, the circumstances that um, can determine whether or not something is, is, is wrong or sinful or harmful. So I hope you find this conversation helpful. Um, we are rolling right on through season uh, season three here. I only have four more interviews after this. Um, If you are enjoying this season, please leave me a five-star review on Apple or Spotify or Google Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening on. Um, If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, I would greatly appreciate if you could write a written review that helps let others know what the podcast is like uh, and gives me a little boosty boost. Um, if you want to support me in other ways, you can follow on Instagram, follow on X, or become a uh, monthly subscriber. All right, and now here is my conversation with Monsignor Charles Pope. Monsignor Charles Pope is currently a dean and pastor in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., where he has served on the Priest Council, the College of Consultors, and the Priest Personnel Board. Along with publishing a daily blog at the Archdiocese of Washington website, he has written in pastoral journals, conducted numerous retreats for priests and lay faithful, and has also conducted weekly Bible studies in the U.S. Congress and the White House. He has been a priest for 34 years and was named Monsignor in 2005. Monsignor Pope, thank you for joining me today. It's good to be here. Thank you. So I want to talk to you about sin because you've written some blog posts that I found really fascinating where you would list out um, you know, either some of the deadly sins and like highlight really specific things within them. And I think, that, mm-hmm. you know, on the one hand, it can be a little bit overwhelming, but I think it's also helpful for people because, you know, we're going to confession and maybe we're saying, you know, I was envious uh, of so-and-so or, or whatnot. Um, but I think sometimes to really like root out the sin, you have to get a little deeper and a little more specific. So I want to kind of dive into that a little bit more today. Certainly. So actually, one thing that I listened to recently, because you you're on the Deeper Dive podcast, you guys did 
an episode where you talked about the virtue of envy, um, which is certainly a phrase that people haven't heard before. Um, so I was wondering if you could s explain that distinction a little bit and what you mean by that. Because I think, again, sometimes these words, um, their definitions can be very loose, and then that doesn't really help us root them out. Well, I, actually, to be clear, we talked about the virtue of jealousy. Now, mm. let's talk about the difference between envy and jealousy, because envy can never be a virtue. It's diabolical. Okay. Whereas jealousy can be, and I'll explain why in a moment. But um, the difference between envy and jealousy is this. If I'm jealous of you, you have something good or something good about you that I want. And if it's a sinful, then it's in, in or inordinate, it becomes sinful. And I may, you know, seek to sin to obtain it, it's like to steal or to do something. Whereas, um, so jealousy is you have something good about you that I want. But when I'm envious of you, here's how Thomas, St. Saint, Thomas Aquinas defines it. He says um, that um, envy is sorrow or sadness at the goodness or excellence of another person because I take it to lessen my own standing. Mm. So when I'm envious of you, I don't want what's good about you. I want to destroy that good. I, I want to, or at least attenuate, I want to make it weaker. So, well, she's not so, she's not so great. Look what she does over here. Look what she said over there. So I'm trying to uh, destroy or lessen the goodness that's within you. And that's why St. Augustine calls envy the diabolical sin. So there could be nothing good in envy. Um, whereas in jealousy, you'll find that, um, for example, God says, I'm a jealous God. Right. I'm jealous for my people. Or St. Paul says, I'm jealous for you, uh, that these other suitors will take you away from me. You know, So there, there can be a form of jealousy that has a concern or uh, for for the good of the other. Uh, now, proper, you know, if you want to say virtuous jealousy would be say, I'm jealous because I don't want someone to destroy the good in you, and I want what you is I want for you what is best. Mm. Whereas sinful jealousy is egocentric. I'm I'm I don't want to lose you or something about you that I have or possess. So that's why Thomas does allow for jealousy to be a virtue, but never envy. Okay. And unfortunately, okay. in English, we have kind of conflated the two. Oh, I'm so envious of you. You right, know, right. which really what they mean is hopefully they mean I'm jealous of you. Yeah. Right. Does that help? It does. So let me think of a, a, a concrete example. So say, for example, you have somebody who they desire something good that they see in others. They lack it in themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and, it, and it causes them to stress. So say, for example, you have a woman or like a married couple and they want to have kids, but they're struggling with infertility. So they see all their friends around them having kids. You know, they go, they go to all the baby showers and it's very painful for them. And even if they don't want their friends to like not be blessed in that way, it, it like causes them star. Would you say that that is more envy or jealousy? That's, that's jealousy because they want the good. Right. They want to. They don't want to destroy the children, you know, that they see in other families. Hopefully not. Right, right, right. <laughs> that would really be diabolical. <laughs> um, but also, they um, they don't want to denigrate the the you know the parenthood of, of the others they see. They want that good too. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so there's a, a longing and a desiring for the good I see in somebody else. That can even become what we call zeal. Mm-hmm. I want to imitate the good I see in others. Right. So then let's like make it a little bit more materialistic. Like let's say I go to somebody's house and they just have a beautiful home and the way it's decorated, I just I just love it and I'm like kind of envious because I'm like, oh my house, it's kind of you know not not that fancy or not that exciting. Like, is that more on the envy since we're dealing with a lesser good, or could it still be more of that jealousy where it's like, oh wow, I love what you've done with the place. Maybe I should try to spruce my own place up. Yeah, well, let's eliminate gel- envy here okay. because you're not seeking to burn their house down or right. destroy the good or right. rob them. Okay. So we're dealing then with, is it, is it virtuous jealousy or sinful jealousy? Mm. So in this case, since we're dealing with a material object, look, they have a 5,000 square foot home. I have an, only a 3,500 foot square foot home. Uh, I'm jealous. Well, that's more egocentric. I mm. want a bigger house. Yeah. Um, now, unless you have a very good, good reason to want a bigger house, um, I think that what we want to say here is that true, or the virtue of jealousy wants the good for the other. Mm-hmm. Sinful or self-centered jealousy wants the good for myself. And you have a bigger house, I want a bigger house. That sounds like sinful jealousy to me. Uh, rather than to say, I'm so happy for you, I'd like to have a bigger house, but at the end of the day, uh, I'm glad you do. Um, would would be um, you know a, a proper jealousy, you know, kind of maybe a wish or a zeal. Um, it is about a material object, but it it, it could be it, what would what would make it truly sinful is I don't like your house. I hope it burns down, mm. or I hope it. Um, I hope that um, I get a bigger house than you. I want I want a six thousand square foot house. Right, right. It's <laughs> egocentric. Yeah. Yeah. Centered on myself. So then are you making a distinction between there's obviously the vice of envy, but are you saying that the sin of jealousy is distinct from the vice of envy? Those are two separate. Yeah. Yeah. Now, but, but I want to tell you, Mary, I'm I'm going to just tell you that, look, um, unfortunately in modern English, jealousy and envy have kind of been conflated. And even in the catechism, even in the catechism, sometimes it's used a little bit too interchangeably. Mm. Thomas, I think St. Thomas Aquinas is correct to distinguish that envy is a very different place than jealousy. Even sinful jealousy, because at least in sinful jealousy, there's something good that I want to possess. I want to possess the good. In envy, I want to destroy the good. Okay, okay. That's really helpful. So do you think there's something similar with pride where obviously you know there's the deadly sin of pride but then there's this sense of like just being proud of others or proud of your country or proud of yourself where we use that word pride you know american pride maybe for example and it's not the same thing as the sin of pride mm-hmm. yeah and unfortunately again here we we fall into a problem in modern english where we've tended to use pride in a positive sense whereas in the biblical world pride is not only evil and sinful but it's the chief sin the chief evil face so i think what we mean in modern english by pride sometimes in the good sense is that i'm excited i'm joyful about my country or something i've been able to accomplish or uh the gifts god gave me um that i would call joy Hmm. i wouldn't call pride okay i think that what we ought what we mean today in the positive use of the word pride 
is I'm excited, I'm joyful, I'm grateful mm -hmm. for some gift that either I have or my country or something that I identify with is, is good, okay? Yeah. yeah, because I think when people try to avoid the sin of pride, they have this sense that they can't be, um, I guess, happy about any of their accomplishments or feel good about any of their accomplishments, and they mm -hmm. have to just put themselves down and um, have this very, like, self- degrading mindset and i think that can almost lead to other in a way i think it could lead to sins of envy where all of a sudden like you put yourself down so much that you hate others who you perceive as being above you um, yeah yeah I, on the other hand I, I think maybe the better way to approach it here is not the sin of pride but maybe the how about the the virtue of humility humility is not like you said it's not like a hangdog all shucks i'm nothing you know right it, that's not that's not true um so here's, I think, a, a good definition of humility that tries to keep to keep everything together. Humility is reverence for the truth about myself. Mm. Now, here's the truth. I have gifts. You have gifts. And, but they are gifts. Right. I didn't just obtain them all by myself. I mean, for example, I, I, I think generally speaking, I would acknowledge that I have the gift to be a decent writer, preacher, teacher, and so on. I have the gift of gab. <laughs> um, and, um, but I realize uh, that 10,000 people stand behind my gift. God gave it to me, but he gave it to me 99.9% of the time through somebody else. I didn't teach myself to read. I didn't teach myself the alphabet. I didn't teach myself grammar. I did not teach, you know, a lot of things to myself. Um, so the things that I have are gifts. So that is to say they are gifts. They're not accomplishments. Yeah. Secondly, I don't have all the gifts. That's the other truth of humility. Um, I don't have all the gifts. You don't have all the gifts, but together we have all the gifts. Right. So not only do I acknowledge that whatever gifts I have, I've received, they are gifts. They're not accomplishments. And I receive them from God through others. Okay. I have some of the gifts. I don't have all the gifts and I need to depend on others to fill in the gaps in my in my life. So I think humility is again reverence for the truth about yourself. Mm. And and the truth is you are gifted. And um you know to deny that isn't true. So it's not humility. Right. But but understand the meaning of the word gift. Not accomplishment all by myself. Yeah. It's something I receive from God through others. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, I think we're, we're used to seeing um, the opposite of humility in the sense of, like, uh, you know, being egotistical, self-aggrandizing. But then you have this other extreme of self, you know, maybe overly self-hatred. Do you think that is something that is still – would we still classify that as a sin, or is that almost more of, like, a psychological or emotional uh, problem that somebody, like – Maybe confession is not the cure for it. Maybe it's more of like a therapeutic counseling. Well, the answer to that is yes. <laughs> now, now, my point is that it can have psychological dimensions, but yeah. ultimately low self-esteem is kind of a form of sloth hmm. or sometimes pronounced sloth or acedia. Yeah. Um, where, you know, in a way I, I'm kind of onto myself over the years when I think, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. It was more to just prevent people from asking me to do something. 
You've heard of people enjoying poor health, for example. Oh, I can't do that. I always get sick. I get this. I get so there's almost it's almost more that they're trying to avoid. So there's a kind of a sloth in it. There could also be a false pride in that. Um, well, you know, I can't do this. I can't do that um, uh, because I don't want to do it. You know, right. and, and uh, I want to stay in my. You know, uh, so that could be pride. But fundamentally, I I see low self esteem at the moral level as a kind of a offshoot of sloth or acedia. Right. Um, but there is certainly, there are issues that come up psychologically for people. You're just like your father. You'll never be any damn good. Mm-hmm. You know, pardon my French, yeah. but I mean, you'll never be any good. Uh, you're, you're just, you know, you're no good. Uh, you're, you're just dumb. You're stupid. You're whatever. And, and they internalize that. And it really, it can be a psychological uh, detriment. Uh, that needs psychological intervention to develop. I don't like the term uh, self-esteem because it's been co-opted by our culture. But what I do like is what St. Thomas calls it, well-ordered self-love. Okay. Well-ordered doesn't mean sometimes, generally our our biggest problem is we love ourselves too much. Right. (laughs) But there is a well-ordered, a reasonable self-love that we should have i am made by god i do have gifts i'm expected to use them i don't have all the gifts but i'm expected to go out there and become part of the human community supply my gifts and make use of them and help other people and so well-ordered self-love esteems oneself as as a child or a son or a daughter of god as someone who has gifts that they're expected to use right yeah, I think I've seen that. I mean, I was a teacher for a number of years, and I see that in a lot of students where they they kind of give up, and then it becomes this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. They're like, well, I'm not good at this, so I'm just not going to try. And then it feeds into that once again where they're like, it's like confirmed that they're not good at it because they're not trying. Um, and, I, and, I, and I agree, it can come from more of a, a slothful place where – um, they, they realize that maybe they're not particularly gifted in an area. And so it does require more effort. Um, but rather yeah. than put in that heightened effort, it's easier to say, I'm just not good at this, you know, yeah. bother. Yeah. And it could become an excuse. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think with our, you know, whenever you get an examination of conscience, for example, I always notice that when we're, they're talking about the sins of lust, it's always very specific. It's easy to identify. It's like, you know, pornography, sex before marriage, contraception, stuff like that. It's always very concrete actions. And so I think it makes it, even if it might be difficult to like obey those commandments, it's very easy to say, okay, this is okay. This is not okay. Um, but with a lot of the other sins or even a lot of the other commandments, I, I don't feel like they're as specified. And so it can be hard, like, if I'm examining my conscience for the sin of lust, I can say, well, have I done this? Have I done that? But if I'm examining my conscience for the sin of pride, it's like, have I been prideful? And it almost seems too broad. Yeah. So can you help us kind of boil down what are some specific actions or specific <laughs> sinful um, yeah, actions? Because I think sometimes it can feel like an emotion, like I feel envious or I feel, I'm feeling very prideful. And it's, that's just not specific enough. Well, let's be clear. I think you're, you, you and St. Thomas Aquinas would be very much agreed on this question about pride. <laughs> yeah. So so broad and nebulous, but 
powerful is pride. Right. That he has no daughters. He mm. St. Thomas often in the Summa speaks of the certain deadly sin, let's say pride, greed, lust, you know, uh, anger, gluttony, envy, or sloth. And he talks about the daughters or the subsets yeah. of, of, of these sins. But pride is so broad that it has no daughters. Oh, Everything is this daughter. Interesting. And if it, yeah. He, he listened to that. He says that in a certain sense that every sin we commit is a subset of pride huh. because I think I know better than God. I think I, I have a better way to handle this than what God has set forth as my limits. And every single thing we do, every sinful thought, habit, act is a subset of pride. I know better. Mm. Now, I will say that we also have to accept that a lot of the sins that we commit are sins of weakness. Mm -hmm. We don't just say, I'm going to go violate God's law because I'm feeling feisty today. You know, most of us sin through weakness, but even there, there's something fueling that that says, look, um, I'm feeling depressed today, so I go. I need to go get a drink. Mm -hmm. But God says, well, that's not the answer to that. You know, and so even in our weaknesses, we, we, we tend to go and um, think that I've got a better way or a, 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 a cheaper way or whatever than, than what God has. So um, that's the first thing to say about pride. You asked about other, other sins. For example, lust. Yeah, you're right. Lust is, can be easily, lust and its daughters uh -huh. can be specified. I don't know why he calls them daughters. Why did you call them son? <laughs> you know, right. I know, I know. But like, just, just accept that's what he uses. But but on the other hand, to to to, to broaden the concept of lust, mm -hmm. lust is not just I did this sin or that sin, fornication, adultery, looking at pornography, whatever. I lust. The difference between lust and love: love regards the person and what is good for them. I will the good of the other. Lust regards the body and the pleasure. Um, St. Thomas says that although lust is not the most serious of sins, it's the lowest in the sense that it, it has in common, along with gluttony, um, those things that we share in common with the beast of the world, the animals. Yeah. Now, yeah. for example, he, he makes the point that because animals don't have a rational nature, the, they can experience pleasure, but not joy. Hmm. Because joy is a rational pleasure that sees things in a bigger picture that's connecting the dots that these things are working together for my good that sees something higher than the uh, simple pleasure of the moment lust unfortunately then is more bestial it's more uh, you know animalistic it's just all i want is a full stomach right. or, uh, or whatever the buzz that an alcohol or some drug gives me or uh you know a sexual encounter might give so i think that um you see, what we try to do, even with lust, even though it's very specified in most people's minds, right. sometimes they miss the most basic point. Hmm. I'm treating this person that I think I'm in love with, but I'm treating them as merely uh, an object for my bodily pleasure, hmm. not as a person who I love in all their fullness. Right. So love regards the person, lust regards the body. Right. Well, to kind of push back on that a little bit, when we think about animals, especially like they, most of them have a, a mating season and, you know, they're very um, almost utilitarian <clears throat> about their mating process where like humans will, you know, they'll have sex purely for pleasure or purely for enjoyment or whatever. They're not, it's not 
whereas the animals, it, they really don't have sex for pleasure. It's really about procreation. So um, mm-hmm. is it really right to say that we're being animalistic or bestial when we are engaging in lust? Um, yeah, if that's all it is. Yeah. If that's all it is. Yeah. yeah, and I think for some people, and sadly, uh, I think that that is kind of all there is. I need pleasure. Right. You can be an. I think you're beautiful. You excite my whatever, and then I'm, I'm I, I obtain pleasure. So I think that uh, yes, I think that. Remember how Thomas distinguished pleasure from joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, pleasure is more of the physical or the bodily aspect. Joy is more of the soul. Yeah. And um, so anyway, I think that somewhere along the line, yeah, I think uh, we have to accept that, you know, I don't, I don't mean this in an absolute sense that we can become bestial or animalistic. Right. I don't mean it absolutely, but there's a quality there that, look, there's um, um, a, a, a purpose that um, animals take pleasure in uh, physical things, but that's all they can take pleasure in. We're supposed to take pleasure. Let, just to bring it back to sex for a moment, my spouse, my partner, you know, my spouse, in other words, my husband or wife, is not able today because, you know, they're having a rough day, but I can show them love and rejoice in them by 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 yeah. being more gentle. Right, right, yeah. So yeah. that's that would be joy. All I want, you know, I, I want some physical release. Well, that's animalistic. Sure. Right. But I think you're right. Animals, at least animals, because they're animals, they don't have rational souls. They really can't commit sins of lust. And they don't, right. they don't, they are acting according to their nature. And uh, except for homosexual acts, human sexual acts are according to nature, but they're not always according to right reason. Hmm. Yeah. So I think if we relate that to gluttony, people sometimes get a little confused because we could say that, you know, well, it's wrong to, sleep with somebody purely for your own pleasure um, it has to be a regard for the person. So then people wonder, well, what about food? Like, you know, when I stop at the gas station, and I get a bag of M&Ms. It's not for nutrition. Like it's purely for the pleasure, the joy of eating a bag of M&Ms. And mm-hmm. every time we stop and, and give into a craving outside of mealtime, is that mm-hmm. a sin of gluttony? Okay. So uh, let, let's make a distinction here. Um, Let's go to the uh, a really bad example of gluttony. Um, um, so first of all, let me let, let's ask this question: What is the purpose of food? Okay. So again, fundamentally, the purpose of food is nutrition. Mm-hmm. However, there are things that go along with um, with food, uh, certain pleasures. For example, company or the certain savor of a certain kind of food or, and so on. So, well, I can get uh, better nutrition by eating this, you know, a tasteless paste, <laughs> yeah. or I can have a steak and potatoes. And so there, there, there are legitimate pleasures. Now, why do I say legitimate? Because St. Thomas says again in the Summa, he says, look, he says in those things most necessary for our survival, God attributes great pleasures so that we do not neglect them. Now, um, therefore, sex has pleasures so that we don't neglect it. 
food has pleasures so that we don't neglect it. Drink in the sense, I don't mean alcohol, but I mean, Beverages, you know, yeah. there's a wonderful, yeah, when you're really thirsty to, you know, you get the idea mm -hmm. to drink something that's very pleasing or pleasurable. Now, um, so when we come to then, you're going to the store to buy M&Ms or you're getting gas and you're, um, it's not intrinsically evil. God does attribute pleasures. You're not required to eat paste <laughs> with higher nutritional value um, so that, um, you know, the, uh, you know, you know, and, and ignore, I don't know, steak, potatoes, whatever you're, whatever pleases you, mm. um, as long as you're, you're combining that pleasure with nutrition now, or I mean, shall we say not just nutrition, but calories and the things that we sure. need to get through the day. Yeah. So there are certain things, even in M&Ms, it's okay to take, you know, desserts and other things that are pleasurable, uh, there's some nutrition. I mean, it's not great nutrition. You could probably eat something better. You might want to ask God to, you know, elevate my desires to something better. I, help me to love celery more than M&M. <laughs> &M. But, you know, on the other hand, there, there are needs throughout the day of some calories to get us through the day. You know, even, even a lot of nutritional programs say, well, you know, don't just eat three square meals. Sure. There is a snack that you should have. And again, part of that's just glucose levels in the mm, blood yeah. and uh, being alert or having enough energy. So I, I, I don't know. It's not intrinsically evil to get a bag of M&Ms. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, uh, if, if that's what you do too frequently, you'll become like me, fat. <laughs> uh, you're not fat, but I am. I used to be young, tan, and trim. But now I'm old and fat. I have a disordered relationship with food, and I admit it. I, I must be eating more than I should because I'm fat. I, I don't know. I mean, uh, metabolism slows down as you get older and so on, but I'm not right. going to get myself off the hook. I can make better decisions about food than I do. Right. So I think that somewhere along the line, I'm not going to just say, I got no sin of gluttony, man. He's like, at least I'm not, you know, fornicating. Well, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. Okay. But there is something called gluttony and there can be a time where we are, um, you know, uh, you know, not making good choices consistently and it becomes sinful. So one bag of M&Ms now, you know, every day, maybe something to look at. Yeah. It's a tricky one too, because it's another one of those areas of our life where it's so bound up with the emotional and the psychological. And there's all sorts of reasons why people overeat. And again, like you were saying earlier, it's not usually this malicious desire. It's, it's a sin of weakness or there's other like compounding factors. Yeah. Well, look, nothing is ever going to make a bag of M&Ms better than a, a, a potato or a, a tomato or something. Right. Um, but on the other hand, um, it can lessen our guilt. Mm. And the point is that when we look at moral topics of any kind, we have to look at not just the objective thing. Is a bag of M&Ms better than a, a tomato? Probably not. Yeah. Um, in fact, let's just say it just isn't. Yeah. All right. Um, so, you know, technically, you could objectively argue that to pick something lesser and cheap and frankly, even possibly harmful over and against maybe something more nutritious and helpful could be a sin. But there's the culp what you're talking about or what we might talk about are issues related to culpability. Mm -hmm. I mean, blameworthiness, you know, because we do have compulsions and we have desires and histories. You know, I remember every every time on Sunday coming home from church, mommy and daddy would buy me a bag of M&Ms. Yeah. 
And there's something coded in there that it, it, it's about affirmations, about pleasure. It's about a lot of things. And now we're not talking about something intrinsically evil here. So you can say that, yeah, I, I make maybe lesser choices regarding food. But on the other hand, um, it, uh, it does take care of me psychologically. And there's other advantages. But let's just say it's bad. Even there, your culpability or blameworthiness is lessened by some of these factors. Yeah. So whereas with lust, we can list a lot of things that are would fall under that category that are intrinsically evil. Is there mm -hmm. anything falling under the category of gluttony that is just an intrinsically evil act? Well, I think for, if a person knows that a certain food is very bad for them, or for example, alcohol, yeah. you know, for an alcoholic to go into a bar and have a drink is much more problematic and sinful than for a person who doesn't really, you know, they can take it or leave it. They don't drink every day. You know, they're, you know, you get the idea. So I think that there's going to be some circumstances that will alter that from individual to individual. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, St. Paul regarding food gives this rule that all things God has created are good mm. and nothing is forbidden to me, but not all things are expedient. Mm. You see, he says, all things are lawful for me. He's talking about food now. He's not talking about everything. Sure, right. <laughs> Uh, all things are lawful for me, but but not all things are expedient. Yeah. So let's say you go to a Jewish friend's house and you bring pork. Well, not a good idea. That right. that could be very sinful for you to do that. You see, because they that's what Paul's getting at. There's a food takes place in circumstances. Nothing is evil. Yeah. But yeah. of itself, but there could be times like I'm a diabetic or I have uh, whatever issue medically where I can't, you know. And to continue to eat those could become sinful because of circumstances. So, you know, regarding food and drink, all things are lawful. Not all things are expedient. Yeah. And if they, if I intentionally indulge in things that are harmful to me, then that, that can become a sin, not because of the food or the thing itself, mm -hmm. but because of the circumstances. Yeah. I think that's, it's kind of where the rubber meets the road. Like you, you know, as you progress in holiness like you kind of root out these very intrinsically evil things or like these very objective things and then you move into the sphere of like discerning competing. like yeah competing goods and that i mean that's actually almost more challenging not just challenging to root out in yourself but almost challenging even in your mind to say what is my conscience saying like you know am i cutting myself too yeah. much slack or am i just being overly um restrictive yeah. in a way that makes me super uptight you know Mm -hmm. Now you're getting into an area that we call in the moral arena attachments. Mm. Something can be good in itself, but I'm too attached to it. Yeah. Um, I can't do without it or, you know, even something, you know, very good. Like, for example, um, I love I love being a stably a pastor. I don't like to be moved around. Yeah, yeah. And and therefore, I think there's something beautiful about loving the where I am and loving the people who I am with. But I, I don't want to become so attached to that if God said to me, I want you to leave that and go and do something else that I couldn't leave. Yeah. Um, and or if the bishop legitimately asked me to go or do something else that I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just psychologically stuck. I can't, I'm so attached to this. I can't let go of it. Well, now even a beautiful thing has become like an idol. Mm. So good things can become idols. They're, they're, they're competing goods whether to serve here or to serve there. Um, 
But at the end of the day, um, we we have to we can get too attached to something, and I think that's what you're getting at. Right. But then I guess on the other hand, like let's say the bishop tomorrow was like you're you're gone, and you just had no grief about it whatsoever. Wouldn't it almost seem mm -hmm. like you didn't really care about the people? Exactly, and that's why attachments deal with what we call competing goods, yeah, not yeah, good okay. versus evil. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So now if I absolutely unreasonably refuse the bishop's request because I did make an act of obedience, that could become a sin. Right. But before it's any of that, I, yeah, I don't want to be cold and indifferent and easily moved. On the other hand, I uh, don't want to become so attached mm -hmm. that I become just, I've turned it all, the whole thing into an idol. Right. So right. yeah, this is always going to be, these are like exactly what you're saying. This is a a balance and trying to find that the competing goods, whether serving in some parish over here because the bishop asked or staying where I am, they're both good. They're not, neither one of them are intrinsically evil. So now I have to say, well, what's what do I need to do here so that I, I'm not too attached, but also not cold and indifferent? And that's look out. You're looking. That's the very word virtue. Virtue always stands in the middle. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So then to kind of wrap this up, one thing that I think about is um, there can become a point, or maybe you might disagree, but maybe it seems to me there can become a point where you're so focused on rooting out certain sins in your life that you almost become super self-focused and you could neglect maybe the, mm -hmm. um, the dictates of charity, whereas like Jesus says, the love covers a multitude of sin. And so can you say, give any advice on that balance between like being too self-focused to root out sin versus turning, just almost ignoring yourself and saying, let me go love others. And yeah, I have these weaknesses, but I'm not going to obsess over them. Yeah, I think that um, you're exactly right. I think we could become so obsessed with just what we're doing or not doing and so on that we just almost become narcissistic or yeah. totally self-focused. Yeah. We were so... St. Thomas Aquinas, again, I keep going back to him because he's my teacher. <laughs> but <laughs> no, this is great. Thomas Aquinas, yeah. <laughs> Thomas Aquinas indicates that there's two ways to battle sin, directly or indirectly. Now, he says that uh, to battle a sin directly is to focus on it and, and seek to be aware of all the specific incidences where you're giving way to it. He says there's another way to, to, to overcome sin, though, and that is to grow virtue and crowd out sin. Now, particularly in terms of certain sins, he says there are certain sins that are best battled directly, like sloth. Okay, I don't want to do it, so all the more reason I'm going to command my soul, we're going to do it. You know, I don't want to go to Mass, I'm getting tired, God will understand, when right. all that nonsense we tell ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all the more reason I'm getting up and I'm going over to that church and I'm going to give God what is due to him. So you battle sloth directly as an ordinary thing. Um, but on the other hand, uh, other sins are very poorly battled directly. For example, lust or certain compulsions and, and like gluttony or drink or what have you. At the end of the day, um, Thomas says certain sins need to be battled indirectly because the, in battling them directly, you're thinking about the very thing you don't want to be thinking right, about. Right, right, right. <laughs> So he says, better here to grow virtue and crowd out these sins. Yeah. Now, and that's not to say you pay no attention to, let's say you want to have a drink when you shouldn't, or let's say uh, you want to eat more than you should, or 
you know, you, uh, you know, you um, want to look at something inappropriate on the internet, you do need to kind of in the moment resist it. But the better strategy overall is to grow virtue. So I'm growing, I'm more interested in going over here and reading the scriptures or watching this series about spirituality on YouTube than looking at stuff I shouldn't be looking at or something. So he says, that's, so there's two ways, and generally speaking, certain sins are more appropriate to battle indirectly, but generally, still generally speaking, another way to grow uh, to grow out of sin is to be, um, like you say, battling it indirectly, going out and trying to develop virtues like charity, love, justice, you know, pride is a, an evil sin combated by humility. So if we were to say... Um, if you're struggling, say, with envy yeah. or sloth, the two virtues to try to cultivate are joy and zeal. So, in other words, cultivate the virtues and let them crowd out the sins um, would be, you know, one way to, you know, there are times when we need to battle a sin directly. But generally speaking, some sins almost never are battled directly. And better, you know, indirectly, but all sins can be battled either directly or indirectly. So that's what you're getting at, the indirect. Let's grow in virtue, not be obsessed with myself, but get out there, learn to love people more, will the good for them, uh, assist, you know, to be joyful in their presence, not so focused on myself, happy when they're happy and aware and concerned. And this is how we particularly flourish as human beings, not by being utterly obsessed about ourselves but really being focused on other people and what they need. Right. Absolutely. Um, no, that's a beautiful way to, to close. And I think that can give people a little bit of peace too, if they feel like they're just struggling with the same sins over and over again, that maybe taking that indirect approach and worrying and, and, and focusing on cultivating yeah. certain virtues can kind of, you know, mm-hmm. flip the script a little bit and actually be more effective. Mm-hmm. By the way, of all the virtues, I would say, that we can best grow in to crowd out a lot of negativity in our life is yeah. gratitude. Really? Just being thankful. God's been so good to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we're very quick to complain and grumble. Right. <laughs> when you really think about it, you know, you and I, we live in the first world yeah. and we live uh, as troubled as we are in America today. Gosh, darn it. You know, the, so many things still go right here. You know, the roads are paved, the, <laughs> the electrical grid is stable. Right. You flush the toilet, pardon the expression. Right. And sure. things. I mean, it's, it's just, it's remarkable, just that. And then on top of all the things that God is doing for us, photosynthesis, you know, <laughs> oxygen, and you know, um, you know, Saturn and Jupiter are out there catching plant, uh, comets for us <laughs> yeah. so we don't get rained on. I mean, whatever you want to, there's just so many things that go right every day. Yeah. And grateful people are different. They are more joyful. They're more generous. They are more, you know, they are, they're, 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 they're more hopeful, uh, you know, I mean, because they're aware of God's goodness and yeah. God's grace. And I, I think of all the things for good mental health and good moral health, gratitude is hard to beat. Yeah, that's beautiful. No, I actually remember last summer a priest gave me as a penance and confession to every day for 30 days, write the things I was grateful for, um, yeah. which is kind of a hard thing to keep up for 30 days, but I thought... You know, yeah. sometimes I wouldn't have given you 30 days. I'd give you maybe three days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I must have really needed it. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me this afternoon, Monsignor. This has been really enlightening. And I, and I love how quick you are to pull out St. Thomas and you just have it at the forefront of your brain. I really admire that. Um, yeah. Your memory. <laughs> well, it's taken me a long time to get there, but yeah. I'm in my 60s, so <laughs> okay. I've had a few years to develop it. But yeah, no, Thomas is, uh, well, he's always been, you know, important to me and uh, yeah. because he's so, he's so thoughtful mm-hmm. about everything. Okay. He made distinctions. and. Yeah. And he really had a wisdom about psychology and physiology in ways that yeah, I mean, we don't. Yeah. We don't. And for somebody in the Middle Ages, you know, that's impressive. Exactly. So beautiful. Amen. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Good. Bless you. Thank you all.